What's up, podcast? Welcome back to another episode of The Mental Golf Show. I'm Josh Nichols, and on today's episode, it is a special one for me because we've got my mentor, my kind of partner in crime a little bit, Robert Linville, who runs his own golf school uh, called Precision Golf School over in Greensboro, North Carolina. It's where I went as uh, when I was playing. Uh, he was my swing instructor. I short backstory: I started going to Precision Golf School, Precision Golf School, like 2006 or something back when I was in high school, and then went a long time without going. And then I decided to pick it back up and go to Precision and specifically Robert. So this one's pretty special for me to get to talk to him. Uh, he's he's so smart. He has like. I mean, he's got 30-plus years of experience working with players and having some awesome high-class players. So there's so many good nuggets in here. I know you're going to get some value out of it. So let's get into it. I hope you enjoy. So what do you want to talk about? Boy, is that a good question. What do you want to talk about? I have no idea. <laughs> so for everybody watching or listening, Robert is my i he was my swing instructor from like mid 2016 to uh, late 2017 and from that point on i i started we started talking and i'll, I'll get your perspective on it too but we started talking about my improvement and how good i improved and how i could use that to help people um and then we kind of kicked it around for a while and then finally kind of launched it. I guess it was like 2019 early, but, um, I mean, do you like, I'll, I want to learn, I want to hear more about you, but what do you, what do you remember about that time? Uh, yeah, that's, I don't know what the time frame was, mm. but after, you know, after you came back from the, well, you, before you came back from the, uh, Publix that year. Or at the US Mid Am. Yeah. Oh, I mean the Mid Am. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, you worked so hard to see can I get my game to a level that I can play professional golf? Mm. You got there. Hmm. You know, there's a lot of good players, but you got yeah. there. You, right. You decided, nope, this is not what I mm. want to do. Mm. Um, so after taking a little sabbatical, you and I talked and I just thought the way you grasp everything that we had done from a performance standpoint, that you could help people. You didn't have to be a swing coach, which, I mean, there are swing coaches. Most people refer to me as a swing coach, um, which is fine. But, um, you know, let's find what you're really good at. And what you're really good at is just coaching people. Mm. And that is a big part of uh, the human skills, as Pia and Lynn would say. But the mental game, you know, let's focus on that. So that started, I don't remember when. You know, we started talking at the beginning of 2019 and kind of getting it going somewhere toward the end of last year. And now it's, I mean, you're doing great. Yeah. So maybe, I mean, first of all, this is Robert Limville. He's uh, 
I mean, not a swing coach, whatever. He's an instructor. He's, he owns a golf school in Greensboro, North Carolina. He's who I try to refer to as much as possible in the things I say, because he's mentor slash guy I learned from guy. I attribute almost everything golf wise too. So that's who this is. And I'm glad he's here now and everyone gets to see him and not just hear me talk about him. But where did, like, when did you start? I know a little bit of your background, but like way back, <laughs> what did you, how'd you start and how'd you get here? How'd I start what? The golf school golf. or <laughs> golf in general? Or uh, I mean, you played, right? You played professional. I did play. Yeah. yeah. I played um, and played at Guilford College. Um and then played professionally, worked as an assistant, went back to tour school, and got to the finals, made the cut at the finals, but there was like a two-year period where there wasn't a what's now a corn fairy tour. Mm. Um, nationwide, Nike, web.com, whatever it is. Mm. There was a two-year period there wasn't one. That was during that two-year period. Right. So um so I came back, went to work. And then in 1989, uh, Rodney Morrow and I started Precision Golf School. Mm. And we started in an indoor kind of warehouse, uh, which was strange because nobody had done it. We were the first to use computer graphics integrated with video technology. And we really didn't know what we were doing we really didn't know what we were doing as far as technology, but you know, we learned and since then, however many years it is, was that 31 years? Try to keep on top of the technology, see what everybody's doing and just use the tools that are available to help people improve. So from a precision standpoint, that's how that started. I also coached at Greensboro College for 13 years from 93 to 2006 and uh, we had pretty good success won one national championship and finished in the top five eight times so yeah yeah it's good started and then in 2006 uh, i had an idea and we started what's now the peggy kirk bell girls tour and uh, now it's got like a thousand members playing about a hundred tournaments a year. Mm. So we run that through the nonprofit foundation. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. So as far as kind of the last handful of years, you've, you've, I don't know, actually, I don't know much history about what you call the precision coaching program. Cause it's you, I don't know. You've always probably been pretty holistic, but that seems very holistic because that's what helped. What I think helped me improve was you. It was more. It was less of me just showing up and getting a tune-up with you, and more working on every facet. So, I mean, is that is that something that was had like a hard start, and you've done it since? How? What is that? Probably didn't have a hard start. It uh, evolved through technology. Uh, Coach Now, the app, 
which started as edu um edufy i remember that yeah uh so then they changed the name which right. made more sense because <laughs> nobody knew what the other name meant right um so that you know using that technology along with um being able to really get into uh, an easy to use platform with stats. Uh, you, I use uh, shot by shot. There's mm -hmm. many out there. I like it because it's simple to use and gives good information. And, you know, using the strokes gain technology, which kind of started with Mark Brody and Peter Sanders kind of working on that. Mark Brody was kind of the one that really pushed it. Um, so using that and using a way to track and measure, because I always tried to track and measure whatever part of the game it was. The mental game, toughest to track and measure, right? Uh, it's more subjective, but still it's a huge component. And, you know, there's a, like a formula, like if you're at these, if you're hitting these metrics, then you're improving playing well whatever it is you can be competitive on whatever level you're playing and if you're not then we need to figure out why not is it technique based is it um just physically you know you're not able to do these things uh you can't create enough speed yet whatever it is or is it mentally that you know you just can't trust what you've developed in your practice and i found really a pretty pretty significant myth in in my opinion uh that most people think they can't take it from the range to the golf course and what i found out was they take almost exactly what they've got to from the range to the golf course they just don't put any emphasis on the shots that aren't very good so on the on the practice and a lot of emphasis on the golf course on that so I started uh, developing a way to measure practice and we could correlate practice to um, how a person was playing. Um, so in my view, there were three kind of levels or aspects. One was practice, one was playing, just playing, mm -hmm. and one was competitive tournament play. So we could, correlate those and if they didn't correlate practice numbers should always be higher play numbers probably higher than tournament numbers for most players 90 some percent and then tournament numbers just slightly lower like when you were playing your best those numbers correlated like almost a straight line mm -hmm. and uh you know when players are developing their games sometimes the practice you would expect and that's what we typically see practice is going to get there first like those numbers are good now let's get them where they're starting to work so that becomes the mental component why aren't they working so once we could measure how a player practiced then we could correlate that to okay this is significantly something that we need to work on your mental process um and you know like what you what we worked on with you and it you know it became like you took ownership you did it 
but it was becoming more indifferent, not putting so much focus on or importance on a particular shot. Every shot had the same type of importance. And, you know, there is reality. Obviously, some shots, some tournaments, some shots, you know, they kind of mean more. But the philosophy is we're going to be more indifferent in that, you know, let it go, right? acceptance and indifference were your two big keys mm. and typically for most players that's the case so back to the importance thing it is there's it's kind of uh contradictory or or whatever it's like everything is worth the same literally everything is worth one shot but you can't deny like you'd be lying to yourself if you if you said i i feel like this shot is less important like you know it's there's like should you try to totally abandon that feeling like the 72nd hole the 12 footer for birdie to force a playoff i mean should you force yourself to you know think of it just like any other putt or should you really believe in the importance of it? What do you think? Well, I'm not much on faking. Okay. Right. You know, I'm trying to trick yourself. I don't think that works. I don't, I haven't found that fake it till you make it philosophy works. So trying to say this is not important. I don't think works. However, having a situation like that and being able to go stay in the process, trust your practice, trust your preparation, mm-hmm. um, win one shot, mm-hmm. being that mindset of being present, um, into this shot. And yeah, you're going to be nervous, but can you go back to your preparation and go, all right, what does this shot call for? And in that case, you can diffuse it somewhat to a point where you're going, it's a shot. Theoretically, every shot is the same. You know, a a question I ask young players especially is, what's more important? A 10-foot bogey putt, 10-foot par putt, 10-foot birdie putt, 10-foot double bogey putt. You know, they'll come up with something. And the answer is they're exactly the same. They count exactly the same. Now the, you know, you hear the announcers in a tour event, somebody makes a good par save and they'll go, yeah, that'll keep your momentum going. That'll keep the round going. And it does emotionally, some, some shots, you know, typically a putt can emotionally kind of keep you energized, um, keep the momentum going, if you will. But, you know, when you add them up, they count exactly the same. Right. So there is some emotional uh, content to, you know, the, the importance right. of a particular shot. But really, it's just that. It's not like, oh, yeah, you know, you got a little pep in your step walking off the green there. Yeah versus you're disappointed Hmm. but you know the math is the math and when you carry it to the next hole it's where it really matters right 
Yeah. Yeah. How focused are you? Are you back into what does this shot call for when this particular shot? So with, with, we know the answers and how players should be thinking, or we, we think we do and we, we try to instill that, but how, how can a player work on improvement? I know that's where I come in for precision golf school. I'm like, that's my job. And you should say, you should be asking me, well, how are you doing it, Josh? But <laughs> I, you know, how for the players that are listening or watching that can't work with us or won't right. or whatever, what, like, what could they do? What can a general player do by themselves to improve mental game? So one of the, you know, there's different things, but you have to practice it. It's like anything. Are you mm. going to get better at something? How do you get better without practice? Mm. I don't know. How do you get better without somehow tracking your performance? Um, so one of the things that you and I did, and it was really successful, was we flipped the switch on what you, you know, at that time we were going, all right, you're going to, you know, you would put your notes in every day. I could see them but um, we're going to flip the switch. What are three things you did well that day? And what's one thing to improve? And then how are you going to improve? So we had typically we, you know, a, a human nature is we have 10 things we did wrong and one thing we did. Okay. And we got to flip the switch. So you got to practice flipping the switch, optimism, uh, staying positive, learning to see the improvement that you're making and the things that you're, the processes that you're going through, are you staying on this track? And, and if you take a, uh, kind of a grander look, overall look, you'll see, well, I am improving, whether it's fast improvement or slow improvement, you know, are you improving? That's the key. Are you improving? If so, great. Let's stay on this track and can we improve more? And if not, why not? Mm. I mean, so, you know, it's, um, it's a lot of, you know, I get a lot of fulfillment of the, the developing, mm. um, the, the journey of trying to get players improved at whatever level, you know, most of the players I work with are tournament players, probably 95% of playing tournaments. So, you know, how are we improving? How are we, and how do we measure? How are we improving? Um, I remember when we played, we won the national championship in 2000 and it was great. Tremendous experience, awesome, exciting. Mm. But, you know, at the end of it, after, you know, a month, I'm going, Man. it's like, that was great, but I'm more into mm. the process of getting there than mm. actually the accomplishment or the achievement. Mm. So that's when I, you know, I really really switched the uh, flip the switch mm, right. and went it's all about improving mm. so 
we've talked about it, you and I, how to measure mental game improvement. And I don't know if we've come up with a, I don't, I don't think we've come up with a good way to do it other than just our kind of assessment of the player, like just us interacting with the player. I mean, in your players, like the ones you've worked with the longest, like Catherine or, or Will or whoever, or Scott, um, how, how, how do you see improvement or have you, or, or how do you view improvement of the mental game? Right. So, you know, let's say Scott Harvey, it's just talking to him. It's the same with Mike Goodis. It's like just talking to him about, all right, what's going on? Are you able to stay in this mode? Do you feel like you can trust what you've got? Whatever it is, whatever we're working on. They know how to win one shot. They can click it in. A young player has to be taught that. And then the problem we're having, we have with our measuring, uh, I think the tool is a good tool. The problem we have is the awareness of the player. A high level player, a lot more awareness. Yeah, self awareness, right? right. Yeah. Self awareness. Mm -hmm. So if I ask some players um, with less, self-awareness mm. did you win that shot which means did you make a decision take in all the stuff did you make a decision so the strategy aspect of it did you as close as you can get 100 percent, commit to that decision did you when you're over the ball you trust your ability to hit that shot with a hundred percent as close as you can get conviction to trust your ability and then it's when the ball leaves can you accept the result so you know what we find is we get a lot of checks right but when we talk to a player we would go mm. you didn't win that shot yeah you know, our goal is, can we get somebody to 85 to 90% of winning shots, right? Mm. Can you get in that zone? And then if you're doing that, that's as good as you've got. I mean, pretty much. That's how good your game is that day. Yeah. Uh, you know, understanding variance and everything else. That's as good as your game is that particular day. But, the, you know, developing players typically don't see that they let things carry over or – they're just not able to to just hit the shot, you know. Too many influences, whether it's worried about coaches or parents or, you know, birds or whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's influence that they just don't become aware of until they get, you know, practice becoming aware of that. Mm. With with um distractions you kind of just said it with like focusing and refocusing what like just to be a kind of a specific thing that someone could do because everyone you've talked about it to me one of the biggest things young players especially but a lot of players struggle with is refocusing and bringing their focus back to the task i mean how do you do it in when you're playing uh 
how should players do it, refocus. Yeah, I don't know if there's a should on anything, but um, it's somehow you've got to get as close as you can to that little process that I just went through, right? Mm -hmm. Win that shot. So how do you get there? And if something is out of sync, um, if you're over the ball and you go, oh, man, the wind's coming up, I better hit it hard. Would you be better off to take a step back and then just regroup and go, all right, let's make sure we're good here. You only get 40 seconds, so you can't keep backing off 12 times, right? But when something interferes, um, there's movement. You get a thought about, young players get this a lot for sure, junior players, uh, especially in high school is, you know, I see the coaches, I see the coach from XYZ University is here and I really need to hit a good shot. And from both, a coach perspective of a college coach and coaching players in that situation, I can promise you they're not looking to see how good you hit that shot. They're just watching. They already know if you can play. So they're just watching how you react and, you know, what your overall motion looks like. One particular shot doesn't matter. Nine holes don't matter. But to them. But, um, you know, influences like that, when you get things in your mind that aren't getting you close to that 100%, what do you do? The best way is back up, breathe, a big part of breathing and just get recentered and go. You know, Dr. Rob Bell talks a lot about refocusing as a huge skill that, you know, how do you get there? But it's, can you click out get in your bubble again, breathe, do something to trigger you back in and get in and go, okay, I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. That's, you know, it's hard to, to come up with a formula for that. Right. Mm, all right. Well, pretty much like most things in the mental game, it's yeah. hard to have a formula, but you've got to have a way when something really interrupts you. Um, and you've got to be able to practice that too. So as most people don't practice trust on the range, right? Right. I was going to ask you about that. Um, I know you and I know how to tell players to practice, but how can players practice the mental game, not on the course in a tournament? I used to think, okay, I can't wait for this tournament so I can, forget about the physical game and work on my mental game, but how can they work on it on the range, say? Right. Well, you, you can't, I think it's crazy to think you can make it the same. Mm -hmm. I just don't think that's possible. Right. But you can go, I'm going to hit a certain a number of shots, whatever it is, you know, and I'm going to go through my routine and maybe it's random practice or may, it's not, this would not be in the block practice category. Block practice means you basically got, you know, a club or two or three, and you're just working on your technique. Right. Most, mm -hmm. And that should be 50, 60% of your practice time. Mm -hmm. But 
party practice time should be doing some random practice where you're different clubs, different targets. And what you're doing is part of this, you're going through your routine where your routine, I'm not, the physical routine should be pretty consistent. It's outwardly, but only because your mental routine should match it. I think the only routine that really matters is your mental routine. But the physical routine to be consistent helps the mental routine be more consistent, theoretically. And, and I believe that to be true. So a player practicing can go through, make a decision, like pick a target. Do you want it on the left of the target or the right of the target? Are you going to hit a draw or a fade? Are you going to hit it straight? And then once you've done that, commit to that. Now it's easy to do on the range, but really the next phase is the part you can practice is really have a little self-talk, trust your ability right now. Just trust this shot, trust your swing and then hit the shot, accept what happened and don't really try to correct or go into the fix mode right there. Just be aware of um, what happened in your process right there. And that type of practice is rarely done. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it would be like, I've never, I don't, I don't know this, the example for physical game, but you can't expect to go out on the course and even think about trusting in your ability if you've never done it in practice you've like you say your three levels practice play tournament you've got to get it good here it's the same with the mental game right yeah i mean i don't know how you get better at anything without practice yeah i mean i there's different forms and and some people seem to be much better at certain skills than others but when it when you really dig deep, whether it's a formula of structured, measured tracking, or they just do the things mm -hmm. they've put in the time in that part of their game. Maybe it's, maybe they're focused on it intentionally and maybe it's just part of what they do. Um, but they're focused on, you know, really being into that. All right, now just do what you do right here. Go through your routine, do what you do, trust your ability. And then part of your practice is working on whatever part of the technique part that you need to work on. But that part, the technique part, people work on a lot. Yeah. Getting out there, going through your routine, trusting it, seeing a shot, go to another shot and not try to go to, you know, hit this shot based on the corrections I'm making from the last shot. There's time for that, but there's mm -hmm. also time to work on the win one shot practice. So on the course, should players completely disregard technique? Like completely? Um, no, it's, um, I've never, I don't think it's possible. So let's take Bryson. Shambo, who would be right now considered like a technique 
guru or whatever, you know, sure. he's focused. Nick Faldo was kind of thought of like this mm -hmm. back in the day. Like he's really just kind of uh, almost robotic in his process. Yeah, he's a field player. Hmm. He's got something he's feeling. Hmm. Now he may have more knowledge than most players about, you know, physics and theory and everything else, not even theory, but the general application of the math and science. Yeah. But he still feels something, right? He's not sending himself uh, verbal instructions during the swing. He's feeling something. So the two things you can do playing, you can feel something technique wise, you can feel something, or you can be aware of something uh, in more of a conceptual visual manner, like how the club's moving, how the club contacts the ball, the shape of the ball, the flight of the ball, things like that. But you can't be playing well, sending yourself verbal instructions, move this way, do this, make sure I do this. You know, you just can't do it. It won't work. So you have to convert that type of practice into a simple feel or visual concept that you can go play with. That's where the random practice comes in. You, that you were saying 50, 60 or whatever percent block technique, random. That's, that's where those different components come in. Cause you're working on transferring it to being able to do it in random environments. Yeah. I believe it's about, you know, putting's a little different, but let's just say full swing. I believe it's about 50, 60% block practice, about 20%-ish, 25% random practice, and then about 20%, 15%, depends on how much time you're spending in it, into the what I call scrimmage practice is where we're just measuring something. Right. Um, you know, you're evaluating the shot performance. Um, so, um, I think, I think practice broken down like that gives you an opportunity to work on all aspects of it. Typically, most players work on strictly technique practice mm -hmm. and then they go to the course and try not to yeah. work on technique when they don't have anything else. You don't have anything else to go to. You've got technique. Right. So a lot of instructions from, you know, brain trying to send a lot of signals um, usually won't work. Right. So would you say as with golf, this is an overly simplistic question, since you do the holistic part of technique, practice, strategy, mental game, you do it all because you're smart and experienced and good like that. Do you, would you say what, what percentage is physical and what percentage is mental? Yeah, I think it's a hundred percent physical and a hundred percent mental. <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't know how you break it down. Yeah. Uh, honestly. And I know you've asked this question to, you know, a lot of, well, I guess every guest you've had on your podcast. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but you know, I'm, I'm not really sure how you break it down because you can be <clears throat> unbelievably uh, gifted mentally, let's say, and terrible, terrible physically, yeah. and you're not going to be very good. Hmm. And you can be great physically, terrible mentally, and I won't be very good. Right. 
So, which is more important? It seems like the scale would be the the higher your skill, the more the scale tends to drift towards the the psychological, mental, human skill part of playing. Hmm. Um, obviously, the best we can play is where it's just automated. Don't think. Right. Just throw me, um, you know, catch and shoot. Yeah. But, you know, it's, it, so it takes a while to develop all those skills. Again, that's why you measure. So yeah. which skills need developing? But it seems like that would be the trend if I was going to weigh it on a scale is the higher the, the skill level, then the more focus needs to be on how are you doing mentally. Right. Yeah, it's as a beginner, total beginner, they, they've got to get to some kind of level of skill. I mean, like if you're driving a car, you've got to be able to do the things that you, and as you just kind of make those automatic, then you can start thinking while you drive. I mean, it's, right. that's, it's a similar thing. So yeah, exactly. Maybe, yeah. Yeah, it's um, it's a lot about, you know, mentally, a beginner, uh, if they were great mentally and they could trust their ability completely, they would play at the highest level they could play, right? Mm -hmm. But it would still be terrible. <laughs> right. It's just going to be bad. Yeah. So until they develop skills, mm -hmm. that'll help it's still gonna be bad mm. uh, a tour player with skills that tends to revert too much into the thought process of technique um, becomes where they're just interrupting their process so much they can't get automated mm. they can't get out of their way right mm. and they may be really skilled but they have trouble really getting to the next hurdle for them. Yeah. Um, and that would be, you know, what we consider Jack Nicholas and Tiger Woods, obviously tremendously skilled. You know, they could hit shots that others couldn't, but also every, I think everybody would agree two of the best mentally mm -hmm. that the game has ever seen. I think Annika would also be in that category. Yeah. yeah. Um, so if the, a lot of these are just kind of theoretical things, they're not real, but if you could sit down a beginner and say, okay, you can only work on your swing and only work on technique and getting good physically, or you can only work on trusting and as I'm saying, and I'm realizing this is ridiculous, but <laughs> you know, yeah, I don't just, have a lot to trust there. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. So it's yeah, like, that's why I think the scale works yeah. a little bit this way. Right. More. Like where would you, I, if you had, I always use 10 hours cause it's easy yeah, math. Yeah. But like if you had 10 hours, how much of it should be spent on the mental game? If you're a beginner, you know, right. pretty much almost zero. Right. You, you just, 
got to get your skills as skills improve how much becomes on the mental game Mm. and then you find out that you you need to spend more time you know to get really to an elite level you need to find the ways to practice that'll help you um when you're coming down the stretch when Mm. you're in the hunt when you're in a tournament like what are the things that you've worked on mentally that are going to help you here? Because it's not about trying to come up with four different swing thoughts uh, at that time. All right. It's like, all right, I need to just let myself play right now. Yeah. So if you could sit down, if, if anyone just sat in my seat right now and you could, you had to tell them one thing, one size fits all, tip what would it because you know i'm trying to like help everybody we can't talk to everybody individually right you know what would you tell them one size fits all yeah like uh i know this it goes against everything you do because you everybody is individual and everyone has their own things they're working on right i mean develop a create a plan okay yeah (laughs) so that's a bailout but create a plan that works for you that's what everybody could do like what's your plan yeah what's your goal uh you know just like you and i've taught just like what your dad taught you yeah you know what's your goal and then what do you got to what are the things you've got to do to get there Mm. what's the process Mm. so forget about the goal once you set it do the work so you got to create the plan. Uh, if you create a plan, then, you know, you got a chance to improve and you somehow figure out a way to track your improvement. Yeah. That's, I mean, if every player can do that and then plug in the individualistic parts to that formula. Well, the plan would be individualistic. Right. right? There was, I mean, I have kind of a broad outline as you've seen, you know, you, you know it very well, a broad outline of how to practice, right. which fluctuates based on what's going on in a player's game, right? It's not always the same. It's a basic outline of how to practice, how much time you spend in different areas. So, you know, if you create a plan that's based on your goals, mm-hmm. then you have a chance to accomplish those goals. Well, thank you. I don't, I don't want to take too much of your time. You're, you're like the busiest golf guy I know. So you, thank you for doing this. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. I'd love right. to see your success. So yeah. I'm sure I'll see you around soon. All right, Robert. Thank you, man. Thanks, buddy. All right, everybody. Podcast is over. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Robert. I know I thoroughly enjoyed talking to him. Every time I get to talk to Robert, it's a treat. Um, so yeah, if you got some value out of it, if you like got some kind of nugget of information, maybe you didn't know it before, maybe you did know it before, it was a little different, whatever, share this with someone that you think needs to hear it. I know everyone needs to work on their mental game in some way, so I know that you know someone that needs to work on their mental game that could benefit from hearing the topics discussed in this episode, other episodes. There's so much to learn. 
Um, not that this is some special podcast, but I there's some great topics with some great guests that I've had the privilege to talk to. So um, share this with someone you know. And if you really, really, really liked it, I'd love it if you reviewed it on Apple Podcasts. And uh, yeah, left a review, rated it, whatever. Uh, that would mean so much to me that you would take the time to do that. And, and I've already got some great feedback uh, from reviews, so uh, keep them coming. All right, till next time, thanks for listening. <laughs>